even speaking about marriage, Erica always makes me laugh because I think I'm the worst at it. <laughs> and obviously I'm doing a couple things right to be married 25 years, but I'm easily distracted. I, I want adventure and excitement all the time. And marriage isn't adventure and excitement. It isn't a movie. And my husband reminds me, those romantic movies end when they say, oh, let's be in love. And then they go off. They don't have laundry and bills and, and life. Welcome to the Faith Inspired Podcast by Faith and Gather. I'm your host, Erica Dvorak. Join me and the Faith and Gather community as we become faith-inspired to tackle every area of life. Career, faith, motherhood, loss, fitness, fashion, health, and more. Girl, we're going to meet you right where you're at, right where you need it, keeping you one step ahead of the devil, armed with knowledge to fight your everyday battles, and live a life faith-inspired. Come on, girl. Let's get it. Anyone who's been married for a second knows that marriage is not always sunshine and rainbows. Once the honeymoon is over, reality sets in and the picture-perfect fairy tale becomes a bit more work than riding off into the sunset. If left on autopilot and to our own satisfaction, marriage can take a few wrong turns and leave you thinking, how did we get here? Annie Meehan is a keynote speaker, award-winning author, and exceptional life expert. As a keynote speaker, she is committed to transforming achievement from good to great by teaching people to rewrite their excuses into successful accomplishments, including marriage. Join Annie and me as we discuss the four stages of marriage, Annie's personal story of 25 years of marriage, and the steps she has taken to keep her marriage at the forefront of her priority list, including her and her husband Greg's practice of wine at nine. Don't worry, bubbly water works too. So get comfy and let's dive into how to make your marriage the exception. Hey ladies, are you comfy yet? This is just a heads up that you hear some funky voice noises during Annie's intro for a minute or two. I promise it goes away shortly, so hang in there. But if you'd like, you can skip ahead to the conversation. Either way, stick around because this episode is too good to pass up and you don't want a little audio mishap to keep you from breathing life into your marriage. Am I right? Okay, so let's get at it for real this time. Hey, Annie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Super happy to be here with you. Excited about the good work you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So you're an amazing speaker, and you have the best heart for people really to live and be the exception, to have an exceptional life and be the exception. And so when I approached you for the podcast, I was actually approaching you to talk about that. And then we had <laughs> then we had a conversation and I just said, you know, I really love to have the speakers and the guests talk about, you know, whatever's really on their heart. So if there's something else you want to talk about, like, let me know. And immediately you just started laughing and said, yep, I want to talk about marriage. And I was taken aback a little bit because I was like, oh, okay. That wasn't at all the direction that I had approached you for, but let's go with it. Let's roll with it. Cause I'm one to never like 
let myself get in the way of obedience. So that's actually what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to be talking about marriage and you know a thing or two about marriage because it is your 25th year of marriage this year, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) So exciting. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you so much. I think also it is all about being the exception. So Erica, whether we talk about the book or not, being married sometimes is about being the exception, right? Yeah. For all of us. Staying married. Getting married <laughs> is the easy part. People think the wedding's the big deal. I'm like, no, no, that's just a day. Like it's the rest <laughs> of your life. You know, that's the big deal. So. Yeah. Yeah. Wedding's actually the fun part when you look back on it. <laughs> yeah. It's all fun, but that's like the that's uh woo. <laughs> yeah, the big party. Yeah. So let's get into it. Can you share your initial thoughts on, you know, when you got married, kind of your perspective of marriage at that time, and then it's going to be tough to do it, but kind of round out kind of those last 25 years, an overview of the marriage that you've had. And what's your husband's name, by the way? My husband's name is Greg. Okay, Greg. So for you and Greg, what does that look like? Honestly, Erica, and I kind of mentioned this to you before, I never wanted to get married. I was terrified of marriage. I did not think it would be fun. I did not think I would be good at it. Um, Growing up with my dad was really abusive and my mom was overwhelmed all the time. Marriage didn't have a beautiful picture in my mind. I always knew I wanted to be a mom. And even though I didn't really plan out being a mom, I knew that I would be good at being a mom. Um, And I ended up being a single mom um, with a son at 19. I got pregnant at 20. I had a child. And a lot of men after that would be like, I want to marry you. You need a father for your son. I want, and I was like, oh my, I was terrified of marriage. I think that I thought it would be hard. I think that I thought I'd get hurt, that it wouldn't last, that it wouldn't work. So I had a lot of false uh, lies, really lies from Satan saying, you're not worthy of marriage. Marriage isn't good. And God kept saying to me, actually, I have a plan for you and it's better than your plan. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, I need to be in control. And uh, God said, no, no, I want you to be married. And so when I met my husband, we were together for five years before we got married. I really did have a genuine fear of marriage and of it ever being able to work. I worked in a financial industry and there was unfortunately a lot of mistresses. And I remember Mm -hmm. my husband saying, not every man cheats. Not every man lies. And that was hard for me to believe if I'm on it. You know, it was really hard for me to believe that, to trust in it, to trust in God's good plans. Um, This morning, as I was preparing for this and thinking, I was thinking one of my huge keys was always keep your eyes on the Lord. And what I want to be honest about, everyone always is like, it's not easy to stay married. And I'm married to a pretty amazing guy who is really patient with me and I jokingly say that country song, Hard to Love, is my song. You're like, I'm hard to love because I'm easily distracted. I get anxious with stability and I want to run. And I know there's some listeners out there that grew up like me with constant chaos. And so change was better than stability and security, more unfamiliar. So I'm so grateful that I have a patient and committed and loving husband. And over the last 25 years, there's so many things that we've gone through beautiful things, amazing things, challenging things, painful things. But some of the keys I feel like are like surrounding myself with people that are married and kind of, I've always think God has a sense of humor with me. And we ended up living on a cul-de-sac full of 12 homes. 
And all of them were like married 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years when we moved in. And I was like, okay, Lord, you have something to teach me here. And I'm so blessed to be around because I didn't grow up around that, around other couples. I'm like, how do you stay married? And how do you keep liking each other when it gets hard? And not that we don't have romantic fun times because we certainly do, but it's also easy no matter how much you love someone, you usually have some differences in parenting. You have some differences in how you maintain the house, how you go about things. Mm-hmm. And so I love to teach people that, like, in the beginning, I was like, I want a Julia Roberts. I want a Cinderella. I want it to all be romantic and happy every day. And learning how to love the daily routine of laundry, of soccer, of stopping to get milk, of having each other's back. Yeah, I mean, it's been a journey. I don't know exactly how to do a synopsis on 25 years, but it's been a journey. You know? And one thing for us that was a little different than a lot of marriages, we started our marriage focused on our children. We had a son and then a daughter prior to getting married. And so really our relationship started with let's watch Jungle Book. Let's go to soccer practice. Let's. We didn't have that couple of years to really focus on each other. And our faith really grew. Um, we always both had faith but it grew even more through our marriage and, and going to church together. And for me, one of the most beautiful things with my husband that we did is we served communion at our church and it might seem like a simple, silly thing, but to look at people's hands as you serve them communion is very humbling. I remember the first couple of times I just had tears because God loves the little hands and the big hands and the soft hands and the rough hands. And he would serve the wine and I would place the communion. And it was just like this bonding beautiful thing that we did together in couple studies and just so many beautiful things. Wow. Sounds like a fantastic marriage. Sounds like an absolutely fantastic marriage, but there's some challenges along the way. I'm sure you painted that beautiful story and you did, did mention at the beginning that, you know, it was hard for you going into the marriage because you had those preconceived notions about like what marriage is and how it was going to go but other individuals often think that it's that white picket fence. You know, you have that beautiful wedding, you know, it's all going to be like, as soon as you put the ring on the finger and you sign it, like you get, you get it all done. You have the witnesses, like life is just roses. And those of us who have been married for a while understand that that's not always the case. But when chatting with you, you mentioned that there were four stages to marriage. Can you walk through kind of those four stages and how to navigate those four stages? Absolutely. (laughs) Even speaking about marriage, Erica always makes me laugh because I think I'm the worst at it. (laughs) And obviously I'm doing a couple things right to be married 25 years, but I'm easily distracted. I, I want adventure and excitement all the time. And marriage isn't adventure and excitement. It isn't a movie. And my husband reminds me, those romantic movies end when they say, oh, let's be in love. And then they go off. They don't have laundry and bills and and life. And owning businesses together was challenging. But the four stages of, um, I kind of think of it as whether it's a marriage or a business or whatever, I believe there's these four Ds. And so the first one is the dream about marriage. And you have to have vision. You have to have a dream. Like, I can't wait to get married, which I meet a lot of young girls. And I always say, don't fall in love with the wedding. That's not what marriage is. Marriage is work and commitment day after day. It's not a feeling. It's not always romantic, but it's a commitment day after day. But you have to have that vision. So the first stage of a marriage is the dream. Like, oh my gosh, I'm getting married. I'm so excited. I'm so in love with this guy. Just We're going to be so, it's going to be perfect. We're going to be different than everyone else. 
We're never going to have a problem. We're going to be so romantic. Look at my ring. Oh my gosh, I'm engaged. It's that excitement, right? It's that first yes. And I think it's so interesting to me how people now get engaged with crowds of people around them and videos and all, because it gets so built up into something and it's just the beginning. And yes, you need that vision and dream and you want to feel madly in love and hopeful and excited about the future but it's almost unrealistic. And when our expectations are so high, we usually fall, right? Mm -hmm. And what I talk about that second D, so that first one is the dream, the vision, the excitement. And and because there's so much pressure on people to have these elaborate engagements and all this, sometimes right from the get-go, they can feel lacking. So be careful about that. Remember, it's about the two of you committing to each other. It's about the dream of your future vision. But the first D is the dream of what it will be like to be married. The second D is not quite as beautiful and very few people like to talk about it, but it's distress. It's that in every dream, there's distress and distress can happen early. Like, oh my gosh, we're paying for the wedding. It costs this much. Oh my gosh, my mother-in-law wants me to invite a hundred people to the wedding. Oh my gosh, my best friend who is going to be a bridesmaid is pregnant now. Like sometimes it's silly things and sometimes it's huge things like, well, I wanted this date. Well, COVID happened. How about that? All the brides that had to deal with that, like that distress and people forget to anticipate that. But if we go into any big vision in our life, recognizing there's going to be distress, there's going to be things that don't work out perfectly. And if we can work through that, a lot of people quit when there's distress in their goal, in their vision of their life is that's when we quit. Right. But if you stick with it, through the distress, through the challenges, there's a third D. And I always think this is kind of like pregnancy too. Like you're so excited about being pregnant and then you get sick or then your body changes or you don't feel good. There's that distress. And when we're aware that it's coming, it's easier to handle than expecting it to be perfect and being disappointed. The third D is development. And I think development happens when in your relationship, you figure out a rhythm. Like you and I talked about a little bit, Erica, like there's those little things that might bug you or put you off. And I have to go, is it worth fighting over? You know, is this worth a fight? Is it going to help my relationship to constantly nag about it? And I talk to a lot of men, a lot of women, and people will say, the only thing my wife says to me is negative stuff is what I do wrong. She forgets to ever thank me or appreciate me or understand my love language. And I think in the development stage is kind of about love language is kind of learning oh, my husband's happy when I clean up the house or start dinner, or my wife's happy when I tell her she looks beautiful and I mean it. I take the time to really look at her. I love the book, The Five Love Languages, and it's about what is your love language? Is it physical touch? Is it words of affirmation? Is it quality time? That's my main one. Is it gifts or is it acts of service? And what can happen in that development stage is you're doing for someone, but what they really want is quality time just to sit with you, or you're giving them gifts and what they really want is physical touch. And physical touch can be intimate, but it can also just be sitting together, touching, um, being close to one another. So development stage is about learning about each other, moving away from the romantic, not that we don't need romance because we do, but moving into the realistic and saying, how do we ebb and flow and pay attention to each other? Because the truth is about marriage, To me, that development stage is recognizing there are a million things in the world that want to steal from your marriage, whether it's your job or your kids or your family or your friends or noise or social. 
And if we don't figure out how to connect and stay connected in that development stage where we learn each other's style and say, wait a minute, Tuesday night is date night. And maybe it's just going to a walk for the park or maybe it's a bowling league. But if I do not have you on my calendar, and for me, especially traveling with work, I have to make sure Greg and I have intentional time together and scheduling it because life will happen and all these other noises and distraction will come in. So I think in that development stage, you learn the rhythm of how to stay connected in the midst of all the noise and distractions in life. And if you get some good rhythm and schedule, I mentioned we were in a couple's Bible study. We were in a couple's Bible study for four years and we met once a month. And Greg and I kind of, it was always like, oh, do we have time for this? We got every time, literally on our way home from that, we would go three other couples and we'd meet and we'd chat and hang out. We'd go home. We would have the best conversation. We would be so connected Mm -hmm. because we talked about things in studying God's word and what God's plans were for us that got us on this deeper level of like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you felt that way. Or you never told me that was going on at work, but we slowed down to have intentional conversation with each other, but with these other couples that all had faith and they're all doing everything they could to work on their marriage and be intentional about being married. I think marriage is easy to take for granted and then easily lose sight of it as well. And the fourth D, my favorite D, is the destination. (laughs) And so I always like to relate it to marriage and baby. So you think about baby, imagining giving birth, if you so choose to have a child and you are blessed with the child, like holding your baby in your arms is a million times better than ever imagining having a child. But in marriage, what does it mean to arrive? What's the destination? I don't think it's being married 10 years or 25 or even 50. I think the destination in marriage is when you recognize at least for me, in my selfish humanness, in the beginning, I could, I was like, what can Greg do for me? Will he bring me flowers? Will he do this for me? Can he do this for me? And for me, the destination stage is recognizing that I have greater joy when my husband's happy. So when I make his favorite meal and he comes home and he's so happy, or we walk on the beach together here and we just like, nothing else matters but each other. And how are you doing? And you look happy and I'm so happy you're happy. So I think it's a selfless love when you get to the destination. I don't think it's at the cost of yourself. I'm not saying self-sacrifice to the point that you lose yourself. I am saying true destination in marriage is when it brings you more joy to make the person that you love feel happy than what's in it for me. People say half of me and half of you, that'll make a whole. No, it doesn't. You need a whole you. You need to take care of yourself and they need to take care of them. And then you come together. And that is the beautiful blessing of a great marriage is when you are healthy and happy enough yourself that you can bless that other person. And that brings you joy. And part of that comes with maturity and development and relationship and all of that. But getting to that point where it's like my greatest joy is when my husband's so happy. And I'll tell my daughter, Megan, who, you know, like dad is so happy at the beach and dad is so relaxed. And I love seeing my husband live in that joy and getting to be part of that. How do I support him in his own joy? as I have my own, but my joy isn't as much what can I get as what can I give. And I think that's the destination of marriage is learning how to love that other person, even if it's not a, it's not a tip for tap. It's not about that. It's about how can I give with no expectation? And it's hard to get there. I mean, it can be very challenging, but what if you love someone enough to want to make them happy, even if they don't give you back exactly what you've given them? Mm, that's beautiful. I love that. I want to get there. (laughs) I want to get there. And I believe that I can, and that other women can get there as well. And you made a comment um, in the 
think it was the development stage. Yeah, the development stage where we had talked about the conversation that I had brought up with my husband. And that was, there was a point in our very early, early marriage. I mean, this was just a few months into our marriage. And I was in the bathroom and I looked down and, you know, the hand towel, we had one of those like little hanging rings for the hand towel and the hand towel usually is there. So I went to go, you know, wash my hands, went to go grab the towel and towel was on the floor. And I looked down and I was thinking, okay, I know I didn't put the towel on the floor. My husband did this. And just in that moment, I think it was totally God. It was, you know, I could have immediately gotten annoyed and angry and something like that could have snowballed into something big, you know, 10 years down the road. If you just constantly did that and I didn't understand, like that could be an ultimate like divorce point, you know, because it's those little things that build up year after year after year. And instead of thinking, man, he keeps disrespecting me or why doesn't he do that? I took a moment and I paused and I thought, I'm just going to ask him a question. So I brought him into the bathroom and I said, honey, like, I'm not mad. I'm not upset. I literally just want to ask you this question. And I want to know your, your thought, like what, what is the, your thought process when you're looking at this, when you look at the towel on the floor, does anything register in your brain? Like anything, like, does it bother you? Does like anything? And I'm not asking this to attack you. I'm literally just, I want to have the perspective of like where you're thinking, like how, how this registers in you. And he looked at me and he looked at it and he goes, nothing. I, I don't feel anything about it. And I was like, okay, okay. Like he is, he doesn't, he could walk by it, not even notice. He wouldn't even, doesn't even bother him. So like, why am I going to let it bother me and get to a contention point so many times in our marriage? I'm just going to acknowledge it, that he doesn't recognize it, and I'm going to pick it up and just put it on the hanger. And so it's just, that was just a moment of realization in my marriage. And there's been many different points too in that development stage of recognizing, okay, like this bothers me, but maybe, you know, my husband's not attacking me in some way. It's not, he's not disrespecting me in some way. Um, And being able to have those conversations and then things that really do bother me, I will have that discussion. There was a moment where there was like this, his socks doing the laundry, he would always put his socks like inside out and I would always have to do them. And at this point in time, when we had this conversation, I was working 60 plus hours a week. I think I was pregnant too. So I was just at my wits end. And I asked him, you know, like, did you do this for your mom? And he's like, well, my mom never commented on it. And his mom is just such a selfless person. She's so good, so kind-hearted. She never would mention something like that. Um, She's much better than me in a lot of ways. (laughs) But for me, I just brought it up and I said, honey, you know, I know that it doesn't bother you, but to me, it's kind of a sign of disrespect and disrespecting my time because I'm just as busy as you and it just takes an extra few moments. Well, if I'm doing your socks like that all the time, it just, it really is a contention point. And I would appreciate it if you did it a different way. And I just explained it to him and not in a fighting way, fighting words, but just really like from the heart of like, I feel disrespected when you do this. I actually do. So if you could just take that extra second on your end to make sure you don't do that, then, you know, I would really appreciate that. And ever since then he's done it. And so, you know, it's like in that development stage, picking your battles of the towel, does that does it matter? No, I'm going to just take one for the team and like do that. And then the sock ones like, okay, no, this is one where I really do feel a little disrespected and here's why. And then we can have that conversation about it. And in that stage, that's kind of how 
I've been working with things in our marriage and it's not always perfect. <laughs> My husband will, if you're listening, honey, he's, he's always like, oh yeah, she gets feisty. But <laughs> <laughs> well, then something else you said, which I think, which goes back to be the exception. The first step of be the exception is be honest. And what I mean by that is the stories. So guys like, who cares? It's a towel, it's a pair of socks. And I don't mean to pick on women, but we are excellent creating stories in our head. Oh, he doesn't love me. Obviously he doesn't love me. If he cared at all, he would. And what happens is they're not in that story. They went from leaving a towel on the floor or not turning the socks right. And we're going, he doesn't love me. He doesn't respect me. We don't even have a good marriage. I'm leaving. This doesn't work for me. And we've created this huge story. So that first step of be honest was about what stories are you thinking about saying out loud or to yourself that are not serving you? Like, how do you do this? And so, so I love that you, how you would describe that, Erica, because that's exactly so common is people will come to me and go, yeah, my husband doesn't love me. I'm leaving my marriage. I don't, well, what happened? Well, this and this, and I do everything and he doesn't have you asked him to help you. Well, no, but why should I have to ask? Because he doesn't know. He's not yeah. trying to intentionally be rude and hurt you. You are reading it into an, he doesn't love me. And so we have to be careful, which is absolutely the development stage of going back and saying, honey, do you know that you, uh, another uh, Gary Smalley, another writer that I love, he said once he said to his wife, something like, well, that dress looks a little different than it used to on you. And she had gained some weight. Oh no. And she was like, I hate you. You're horrible. I'm out. When he's describing this couple, he's saying, the guy thought like, maybe it wasn't the best thing to say. I might've dropped a pebble on her. Like maybe I should have said, you look fine, honey. But I was just trying to be honest with her. And she did look different. And the woman heard, you just dropped a boulder on me. You think I'm ugly. You think I'm fat. You hate me. And it's just, I love that you went back. You communicated. I think that's part of the development stage is saying, hey, does it matter if we have dinner at this time? How do you feel about laundry? Is it okay for you to pick up the kids? I mean, and honestly, it's an ongoing the rest of your life. I'm sorry, this is what I'm hearing. Is that what you're saying? Well, no, that's not what I meant. What I meant, and I think that clarifying, so many times I hear things that Greg does not, he's like, that's not what he said. I'm like, well, that's what I heard. And that's what I created. That's why I'm mad. And he's like, you're mad? That wasn't at all. But clarifying our stories, right? The towel, the sock, the dinner, the you look different in the dress, your body change. You know, I have one of the most, I have so many beautiful girlfriends, but I have one that said to me, I was kind of being hard on myself and I've gained some weight. And she said, Annie, you're over 50. You've had four beautiful babies. Like you look amazing to me, but the story that I, but I don't look like I'm 20 and I don't, right? And so I think Erica, it's so beautiful that you took the time. And also you also said another key thing that I think is important is you took the time to communicate about the sex when you weren't mad or when you just said, I just want to tell you how this feels to me. And you were able to articulate it felt disrespectful. And, you know, please don't want to be like me. I always say to people, please don't, because I am not great at marriage. I think I would have left 20 times by now if it was up to me. And I joke about every three months, I ask my husband, should we get a divorce? And he says, well, no. And I say, well, do you still like me? So, oh yeah, I like you. I'm like, okay, well, do I still like you? Oh yes, you like me. I'm kind of joking and kind of serious. Like I get restless. I get like, that hurt my feelings. I want to go. I have very much that fight and flight I'm used to how I grew up makes me want to run. Mm. But my husband reminds me, no, no, we love each other. This is a moment and you're okay. And you said, I want to be like you. I hope to get there. And I want to tell you hundred percent, Erica, without a shadow of a doubt in my mind, 
the reason I am as blessed as I am, the reason my life is as good as it is, the reason I'm, I mean, I'm amazed we're celebrating 25 years. My husband's like, of course we are. Why would we not be? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this for a hundred <laughs> times, I was going to run away. I don't know. And it's because of God. God says to me, Annie, you can't be who you want to be in your marriage, but with my guidance. And if you turn your eyes to me, and if you start your day with me, and if you study my word, I will help you become the woman that I know you are, but you still don't even know after 25 years of marriage that you are. So I just want to be so sincere about whenever people say to me, oh my gosh, you guys, Greg and I are really blessed and we hold hands and we walk the beach and it is amazing, but not perfect. You know, I still have my days. I think, what am I doing here? I want more. I want him to be more like my girlfriends and cry with me and talk to me about all these deep emotional things. And he's like, I'm good. I'm like, I'm not good. I want you to be more touchy feely. And it's not who he is. You know, I have girlfriends over the years that have said, that's when we need our girlfriends. That's when we need our Bible study. We need those women in our lives because men are meant to be our partners and have this beautiful marriage, but there you need more and you can't be dependent on one person. That's another thing that in the development stage, you know? Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. You can't, you wouldn't want them to put that pressure on you to fit all those roles in your life. You need to have other people in your life to fit those roles because I mean, there are some husbands out there who are super emotional. We'll have those conversations, but not not mine <laughs> and not yours. And, and yet not a lot of men will. And so leaning on your girlfriends, you know, leaning on God, having those conversations with him. So often people talk about it, but marriage is just quoted so much in the Bible and mentioned so much in the Bible. But I think that's because it's such a great union and a perfect union, but only if you have Jesus in the middle of that, you know, you that they have that three chords, you know, you, you need him because you are two selfish people that need Jesus to become selfless. And that's who he was. He was a selfless individual, which, you know, brings you back to your, your fourth D of destination. And that's really is just being more like Jesus, being the hands and feet of Jesus in your marriage. And I think we so often forget to do that. I know I forget to do that all the time. As you were talking through that, I was just like, man, you know, my, my husband left stress this morning and last night I was talking all about my stresses of the day when he's going through a battle right now and just giving him space and time to do that and humbling myself. You know, I have needs, but so does he. And so allowing him to speak through his, because I'm going to be more vocal than him because I'm more of the communicator, but knowing that he needs that time too. And, and I think too, going back to the point of, you know, how we communicate with our husbands, like, you know, making sure that we communicate with them, letting know what's on our heart, picking and choosing our battles, but giving space for your husband to do the same. Like for me, I like cooking, but it stresses me out at the end of the day. And we have a very tiny kitchen and I don't have anything to put on the side. I literally have my oven and I can't put anything on the side. So I have to put it like on my oven and I have burnt so many plastic things. I can't even tell you. It is just like not a functioning kitchen. So like, I just don't enjoy cooking right now in this stage of my life with craziness of the small kids and the lack of efficiency in my kitchen. And, um, so a lot of times when he comes home or this used to be when he would come home, like I would still not know yet to what to make for dinner because I had just gotten done and kids, like I just, it wasn't a thought for me, but he was so used to growing up and his mom having food on the table without even a question, like never even questioning, like he would just get home and know that he was having dinner. And one day, you know, he just really opened up and told me that's something that he would really appreciate and not to put me in the position of like, you're a woman, you need to make me dinner. Like that's not my role. 
he said, you know, if I need to make dinner, just let me know, but I don't want that to have to be something on my mind. When I come home from a hard day at work, I just want to know that like, I'm going to be able to eat, you know, I'm hungry. So I want that to be done. And like, if you need me to help in and pitch in, pick up something or grill or make something like, let me know, I'm happy to do it. But I just need that area of our life planned every day. And when I heard that, you know, that just opened my eyes that I was being selfish in that area, not even considering his needs and my, my son's needs of, you know, wanting to know what was for dinner, even how small that is, that was a big deal to him. And so being selfless, knowing like, okay, this is an area where it's really uncomfortable for me because it puts more stress on me, but it's going to relieve stress on my husband's life too. Well, and it's finding that balance, right? There's a terrible movie, probably I shouldn't recommend it, but there's a scene in it that I find quite humorous as a wife is uh, about last night, many years ago in the eighties, but they had two nights a night week. He cooks two nights a week. I cook two nights a week. Um, we go out to eat and one night a week we have sandwich night, but they had a plan. Yeah. And sometimes you need like that simple plan. And I love crock pots because Greg oh, and I used to amen. leave at six in the morning, get home at six, throw something in, in the morning. It seemed like you cooked, you come home. Betty Crocker says, just put some onions and butter right before your husband gets home. He'll think you're cooking, even though you have no idea what you're doing. Um, I love it. And I love home chef. I don't know. I've tried a lot of them, but I love oh, yeah. it because I didn't grow up either taking meal, having that Greg very much five o'clock dinner. Mom did it. Mom did everything, cook, clean, whatever. Plus I'm a quality time. So I want to cook together. I want to clean together. I want to, my husband's much more introverted. He's like, I'm good. I'm like, can I go with you for a run? He's like, first you don't run. And no, I need some alone time. <laughs> and I think the Lord reminds us that too. Like I'll say, I want Greg to be my everything. I want to do everything together. And we're going to, and God's like, no, he's not your everything. He's your partner. I'm your everything. And I think that's a good reminder for us when we're feeling really needy is go to the Lord, sit at his feet, listen to him, let him love on you and fill, fill you up. Mm-hmm. I also think dinner is a huge stress for a lot of people, Erica. And I like home chef because I don't have to think it can do portion control. If I add a salad, I can make it enough for three people if one of the kids is home. And so it was just an easy way. It showed up on Monday. To me, it's fairly affordable. I've tried a lot of them, but that's my favorite. And then it's healthy and it's the right portion. And I don't have to think because it's the grocery shopping. It's the planning. It's the Mm -hmm. preparation. It's the throwing out the extra because we didn't use it. So it answers that question for me. And Um, and I know for some people, maybe it's not in their budget, but for me, I feel like it's the same price as grocery shopping and it saves me time, which also saves me stress, which also gives me a recipe to think because my husband expects, I'm happy to eat cheese and crackers every night. I don't necessarily (laughs) want to sit down with the dinner, especially with the kids growing. I was like, can we just have cereal? It's stressful to cook. I think a lot of men and women struggle with that, but it's that conversation of, you know what? Okay, fine. Let's always have dinner at five. If that's your family routine. But can you cook Tuesdays and Thursdays or can you at least plan or pick something up or what can we eat out one day a week or do carry? I think that pressure, especially when you're working, but even if you're home, Erica, you're watching children, you, that is a lot of work. I Mm -hmm. always want moms to know, like, don't minimize. I quit my job in the financial world when our youngest was born. So we had three little kids. It was full-time work for me, caring for them, volunteering, going to church, doing this, being on commit. I mean, I was like, I still, that routine of dinner, and we kind of got in a rhythm. Somebody told me they just, the way they do it, because dinner is hard, is Monday was like meatloaf, Tuesday was tacos. They had like their chicken on Wednesday, and they said fish on Friday. They said, I can't think about it every week. It takes too much of my brain. It stresses Mm -hmm. me out, and we fight about it. Then dinner's not ready, so I just did it. And she said, you know, every once in a while, we do something different. 
But for the most part, I knew on Sunday when I grocery shopped, these are the five meals I want to buy or whatever. And so yeah. um, having a crock pot meal at least once a week, because it is a lot, you know, so give yourself grace and credit too. It's, I love that your husband said, this is important to me. He communicated, but also being able to say like, I can't do every night. Like I'm, I know you don't recognize how busy a day can be being a stay at home mom till we do it. It's hard to know, but yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I think it just comes back to solutions, like finding solutions for any topic in your marriage. So for me, you know, one of them is the the cooking, but, um, you know, that can be any, any topic in your marriage, like finding a way to navigate and compromise, you know, it's just that old saying, you know, compromise is the key to marriage, but it really, it really is. Um, and it's that give and take of figuring out like how you can work together. So finding that solution. I love that compromise and communication. And so people used to say, what night do you do date night, Friday or Saturday? Well, at some point, if you have competitive athletes as kids, your weekends are gone. And so we started doing Tuesday night date night. And even if it was eight to nine, it was like, Tuesday's our night. We cannot, we have to have a time to connect or we will easily lose sight of each other. Yeah. Yeah. And and making sure that date night is really front and center and priority. Now, we have two young children. And so it's really tough to do that. And last year, one of my goals was to have two dates a month. And that goal did not exist. Like that did not happen. But this year, when I was looking at my goals, the ones that I achieved and did achieve, that was one that was really heavy on my heart. So we are three for three this year of three months in a row of two dates a month. So we've been working it as like a coffee and we, we have our little girl. And so we bring her on our dates, but she can still sit in the car seat and she's relatively quiet. Um, so we make it work, but we do like a coffee date and then a dinner date. And, you know, we've discussed like just even going for a walk, you know, the two of us. And if our daughter needs to come along for that, she'll sleep during the walk, but just time for us to communicate and have together is so important. So making sure that you put those dates front and center. Um, and I know not everybody has people to lean on, but I think this leads into the next question and something that you mentioned that I was like, Oh, this, I am guilty. This is, Ooh, okay. Like I, I hear it, but I don't want to hear it at the same time, Annie. So your was something that you call wine at nine, something that you've really implemented in your marriage that you find very important. I think this, you can kind of consider this dating time too. So what is wine at nine? That's right. Actually, a girlfriend in Minneapolis talked about she does wine at nine. And then I always just like to take ideas that I think of and be like, how can I make it better? How can I make it clear for people? So for me, what I think about is when you're first dating someone and when you fall in love, you are eyeball on eyeball. Like, I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to touch you. I can't wait to be close to you. I just love you. I want to hold your hand. I want to be as close to you and look at you as much as I can. I can't get enough of you. And then life happens, right? And so then well, I've got to go to work. I'm working late. Well, you're still one of you's maybe looking in once looking out. Well, my friends want to go on a girl's weekend. Well, now I've got this. Well, the kids have a tournament and pretty soon it's easy to be turned out, not even look at each other. And even when we get together, it's more, let's look at the TV together. Let's look at the computer. Let's look down at our phones. And we've turned away and maybe away from each other. And exactly if we have gotten in the center, it helps a lot, but we really also have to be intentional looking at each other. That's why I love the couple's Bible study is we had God and each other looking. So wine at nine is about life distracts you. There's a lot of noise. The phone is very noisy, right? It's always calling us, let alone the computer, let alone the ding here, the TV show. Oh, there's sports things on. Oh, you know, whatever. And for Greg and I, I don't really care to watch too much TV. And if I do, it's not sports or the news. And those are the things he enjoys. So how do you stay connected? 
So wine at nine, which for some of you, nine might be late, even for me sometimes, but it's just the concept of it. It's an easy thing to remember, wine at nine. So wine at nine can be drinking a glass of wine at nine. But because I work with a lot of people in recovery, if drinking is not your thing, please don't start drinking because of wine at nine. I want you to be safe and do what's best for you. So it can be a glass of wine at nine. Greg and I sometimes mix this. It's called Oasis. It reminds me of Calgon Take Me Away. It's like a vitamin B drink and it's blueberry. And we put it in wine glasses and drink that at nine because it's just a little healthier and hydration and immune stuff. But um, wine at nine can be drinking a glass of wine at nine. But there's rules. No TV, no computer, no iPhones, no nothing, just each other. And if you're lucky enough to live somewhere warm enough, sit outside. There's something about getting out of your home and just being in on your front porch. We used to have a front porch we love. Now we have a lanai. It's about looking at each other, removing all distractions, and just having wine and reconnecting at night. But for those of you that don't drink, don't quit. Still do wine at night. You have two options. And even if you do drink, these are the three options. One can be a glass of wine at night. Number two can just be unwind at night and connect. And one thing you said, Erica, that I literally pray about pretty consistently, <laughs> maybe I need to more, is be quiet. Annie, just listen. Let Greg speak. And God will just say to me, Annie, be quiet. You've shared your day. Now listen to his day. And make sure you ask questions about his work, about his stress, about his family, about his hopes and dreams. I think in the beginning of our marriage, we dream a lot. We hope and we plan for the future and we envision. We have that vision, that dream. But as life goes on, it becomes more to-do lists and complaining and what doesn't work about our day, about each other. And so that wine at nine is meant to unwind and connect. If you need to whine about your day and what didn't work, give yourself five, 10 minutes, set a timer. I think what happens is we give each other our leftovers the longer we're married and our complaining and our nagging. And then we go around people we don't know and we're so, oh, everything's great. How are you? We're so cheery. We give our best away. But this is our sacred relationship given by God that we are meant to dream together and to visualize and plan. And I think Greg and I have always loved to travel. Uh, I always wanted to move to the beach. It took about 30 years of vision, but it was the right time now. And so dream together, unwind, wine a little if you need to, have a glass of wine or drink something in a pretty glass, even if it's a bubbly water or a glass of water with lemon, make it a special and sacred time that's intentional about turning back in toward each other and really looking at each other, hearing and seeing each other. So that's wine at nine. Mm. That sounds so peaceful and wonderful and also super convicting. I don't know if there's other <laughs> other women out there feeling where I'm feeling where I'm just like, oh, I want that so bad. And the reality of my life is we put our kiddos to bed around 8.30. My, my, my boy is a late nighter. So he goes to bed around nine, even though we try to put him to bed at seven, it just doesn't work. And by the time he goes to bed, my husband and I are like, okay, sayonara, I'm going to bed because I'm getting up early and you're going to stay with the baby for a little bit and wait till she goes to bed. And so it's just, there are some nights though that we have the opportunity and I just revert back to what is comfortable for me because I'm like, okay, well, I normally go to bed at this time. So I should just go to bed. Or like last night, I did stay up a little bit to work on my business card when really at the end of it, I didn't finish it. I was a little more stressed out than I needed to be where I could have taken that time to really spend time with my husband because our baby was sleeping on the floor. Okay. So here's two tips for that, Erica, because I get it. I do get it. People used to make fun of us in our neighborhood. We did put our kids to bed at seven and we'd say, 
if you can't go to sleep, that's okay. Read, stay in your room, do whatever you need to do. And you got to wait till they're a little bit old enough to understand that. But yeah, we put them to bed really early. Um, and I'm not saying do this every night. If you can, that's amazing. If you can do it three nights a week, that's amazing. Uh, that's incredible. But if you could do it one night a week, so set an alarm on your phone for 8.30 on Tuesdays, 8.30 on Thursdays, 8.30 on whatever night that you're like, you know what, no matter what, even if my baby's awake, I'm going to lay her to the side and let her rest. I'm going to put my son to bed. And I'm going to tell my son tonight, mom and dad are on a timeout. That was another big thing I said to my kids. It was like, I need a timeout. Do you want me to be a good mom or not? I definitely need a timeout. And so <laughs> they were kind of like, okay, you go have your timeout. I do want you to be a good mom. And so even if it's one night a week. And also what it's saying, uh, I don't know if you have primarily women listeners, but what it's really saying, and again, I'll go back to, I'm a coach. So I hear from a lot of men and women. Yeah. The only thing important to my wife now is the kids. I never feel important. What it's really saying to your spouse is actually you're important. And actually there's a hundred things calling me, whether it's business cards, my business, my children, my mother, but tonight I'm taking this phone and I'm turning it off and you are my priority. Yeah, you are the most important thing. One thing I believe with all my heart is if we listen to God, he wants us to stay, especially if it's healthy and beautiful, but our kids are watching. Yeah, Our kids want to see what does a good, healthy marriage look like. And when you show your kids that dad matters and when dad shows that mom matters more than your kids, which is hard for a lot of us mamas, especially young mamas to believe when you show your kids that you are loving them better than any love you can give to them because they want to see dad love mom and they want to see mom love dad. And they want to see that you're each other's priority, even though they're screaming and what I need you. No, sorry, I'm with dad now. Dad and I are in a timeout together. Sorry. I can't, you know what? I'll talk to you in the morning. I'll love you in the morning. You're okay. You're going to be okay. But dad needs me and I need dad. That is the greatest gift we can give our kids is showing our kids that we love each other and that we make each other a priority. Yeah. And gives them a sense of stability and just love. And yeah, I can just, as you were saying that, I can just picture my little boy actually being okay with that out of the, all the reasons that we give him at night that we need to leave the room and we can't snuggle for another hour. <laughs> you know, that yeah. would be the one that I think that he would be okay with and happy with. And even understanding that if you're snuggling with your little boy, Erica, you're saying, you know what, daddy needs me to snuggle with him now or mommy needs to snuggle with daddy or whatever it is, you're showing them what love look like, what commitment looks like, what prioritizing, what intentional marriage and love looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, so good. So good. So you've given so many amazing tidbits. I'm going to be walking away tonight and talking to my husband through them and with them and to see which ones we can implement. But if there's just like one piece of advice, maybe it is the wine at nine, but one piece of advice that you could give to the listeners just to help their marriage in any way or protect their marriage in any way, grow their marriage in any way, what would that be? What's on your heart there? I love the word protect. Marriage is sacred. And uh, there's been too many times that I've taken it for granted. And I think when we recognize what a sacred gift it is and that it's much easier to get divorced than stay married. It just is, even though divorce is hard and I don't mean to minimize it. I mean, I have so many things right now. What's on my heart is I'm going to start praying again, as I did for many years, that Greg and I find three other couples that want to do a couple's Bible study. You know, we've moved to Florida, life has changed and be in a community with other believers 
if you're single and you're listening, look for um, older women that are married and ask them to share their wisdom, ask them to share their struggles and their successes, learn, be, be a learner of marriage. Um, Joyce Myers is one of the people I love to listen to and all the things she says about how difficult she was to be married. I relate to sometimes, but marriage is a work in progress. Like don't give up and seek support. Greg and I have gone to counseling over the years. Greg and I have gone to marriage retreats. Greg and I have been in, uh, you know, couples Bible study. We've just sought out things. And I remember when I first got married, I thought at least once a year, we're going to do a retreat, but life happened. And we didn't always dream together. Always ask your spouse, what is your greatest dream? Where do you want to live someday? What's the vacation you've always wanted to go on? If you could do anything for work, what would that look like? I have a journal that I wrote to help people write their book, write their story. But I get beautiful emails about them. And one is that a woman used it for date night. And she said, we had forgotten to really ask each other and listen to each other. We were so stuck in the to-do list and we use your book as a guide. Just don't take it for granted. Thank God for your marriage. Understand your spouse's love language and try to recognize that and pour into that, even if it's totally different than yours and it doesn't make sense. Definitely my husband, I didn't think had any and I thought I had them all. And my oldest said, mom, dad loves when we appreciate him. He does so much for our family. Just every once in a while, he wants to hear, thank you for all you do. Thank your spouse for the little things. It's easy to notice that the little things they do wrong. So maybe notice the little things they do right and thank them. Thank them for being a great dad, a great husband, a great friend. For those of you that are single and looking for that perfect husband, first, he doesn't exist. (laughs) Second of all, take care of yourself first. Be whole. You will attract a healthier whole person. You know, trust that God's plans are better than yours and ask him, Lord, lead me to a man that will be a great friend a great provider. My daughter always says, when I'm looking for a guy, I never look for the guy in the front. I always look for the guy behind him because he's a little quieter, not as charismatic, but maybe more committed. And so I don't know, hopefully all that stuff helps, but be gentle with yourself too. Don't be hard on yourself if you're not great at it. It's a journey. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. And I love what was that Megan said about that? Oh, that's so good. (laughs) So good. I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Annie. Just really appreciate you sharing, you know, about about your life and your marriage and what you've learned through all of it. Um, I do want to give the opportunity for you to, you know, have others come and seek you out and get to know more about you and your professional area of realm. So you're you're a speaker, you're an author, you know, international speaker and an author. And so if you could just share, you know, where they could find you to find some of your keynotes and even hire you, where can they find you? Um, before I do that, Erica, I just feel called to just say a couple words to the Lord, just thanking him for this time, Lord, I thank you. And Lord, I just ask that you bless and touch each listener today. I ask Lord that they hear your voice, that they feel your presence and your peace. And Lord, that for those that are married, that you just help them refix their eyes on that partner that they have chosen for life. Lord, that that spouse that they just see them with the eyes. And sometimes I pray, Lord, show me what Greg looks like in your eyes because he's bugging me today. And it's amazing how God could go, well, listen, you bug him sometimes too. So just love on him. So I just thank you, Lord, for that. I thank you for giving me your eyes at times to be able to see my husband in the way that you see him as the beautiful young man that he is. And I pray that for every woman listener that they see their spouse as that 
beautiful human that you created. I pray, Lord, for those that are listening that are seeking. I want a husband. I don't want to be alone. I want to get married. I want that. That they take best care of themselves so that they can attract the healthiest and best person that they're patient with your timing, Lord, and not ours. We're always so anxious to hurry, Lord. But I just thank you for Erica. I thank you for her call to do this podcast and this good work. I pray blessings over her and her family, and in particular, her marriage, Lord. I pray for all listening for their marriages, even in the broken pieces and the messy and the complicated and the hurt pieces, Lord. You are the ultimate healer, and you can heal marriages. You can heal individuals, and we trust that. We believe that with all our being, and we thank you in advance for all the amazing work you're going to do with each listener today. In the holy and precious name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So I am Annie Meehan, and my website is just Annie Meehan. I am a CESP, which is a certified speaking professional, and I do have the pleasure of speaking all over the world. I get to go to Dublin in April and speak. So yes, I love what I get to do, but more than anything, I think that God has given me the gift um, to help people on their healing and hopeful journey. And even though most of my speaking today, though I started in the faith community, is not faith-based, what I love is that every time I speak, the Lord shows up. And I once had a client say, don't bring your Jesus with me. And I kind of threw me off. It was in 2017. And later I remember laughing, thinking, oh Lord, I have asked you to stay home on girls dancing night. And I've asked you to stay home when I'm going to get in trouble. And you tell me, Annie, you can never leave me. I'm always with you. And you remind us that I can use the pineapple. I can use love. I can use hope to show people the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. And that you do the work, you do the rest. I just get a love on people and um, bring my wisdom, my woundedness, my imperfection to offer that hope, individuals and marriages and people all over the world. So thank you, Lord, for that. And if you want to reach out, yeah, just Annie Meehan. You can find me anywhere, but that's my website. That's my email. That's my LinkedIn, my Facebook. (laughs) And I love to encourage and spread hope. So I'm Annie. Oh, Annie, thank you so much. And you do inspire and encourage and bring hope. And you're right, you know, Jesus is everywhere. So those individuals who aren't into Jesus yet, aren't loving Jesus yet, whether they like it or not, we bring Jesus in everything that we do, you know, in every area of our lives. And you and I, with that beautiful pineapple, (laughs) can spread that, (laughs) spread that joy without them knowing who it's coming from. And the same with our listeners. That's right. When people say, I don't believe in Jesus, I say, no worries. He believes in you. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, he does. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to write that one down. So good. So good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Annie. Just really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Congratulations to saying yes to yourself. Fill it up your cup, feed in your soul. If you want more, head over to faithinspiredpodcast.com for show notes and links to all the goodies mentioned in today's podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep you faith inspired.